0: Good morning! Woo! Wow! Oh, it's wonderful to be at Valley Family Church this morning. We love pastors Beth and pastors Jeff, and we thank God that we are part of what's happening here at this church. In fact, um, we love the Getting a Grip on the Basics. We have so many stories that we can tell you, but we have used literally used those books everywhere we go. Um, one of the- for about.
1: 25 years years, yeah. our church that we pioneered in manchester england we had over a thousand muslims born again in that church and as a result uh pastor beth gave us permission to translate the book into the language that they speak farsi and so all of those new uh believers that come from islam they get the basics as their foundation in their language there's I was there just a few weeks back, and there was a a lady about, I don't know, she's late 50s, right?
0: She's like four foot tall. Little Little Iranian Iranian lady. lady.
1: And and she's got this Instagram ministry. And I mean, yeah, she's like late 50s. I'm thinking, okay, maybe she's got like 10 followers or something. I said, how many people are following you? She says, 8,000.
0: She ministers to all of them. It's amazing. And I'm
1: like, what do you do? She's like, "I just the stuff we learn with the basics, I just pass it on to people. And the majority of the people that are following her are in Iran. Isn't
0: that amazing? We just also, in fact, a couple of weeks ago, many of you know that we are living in uh, Beirut, Lebanon. And uh, one of the languages that they speak there is French. And Arabic is the prominent language. But she said... I have a whole bunch of house groups in French. She says, please can I have the getting a grip uh in uh, in the basics in French? Because I want to begin teaching all of my house groups the getting a grip on the basics. You guys, what you're doing here helping Pastors yeah. Beth get this word out is literally changing people's lives. Everywhere we go, we love getting a grip on the basics.
2: Absolutely. Amen.
0: Yeah. Well, we, like I said, we've just come from Beirut, Lebanon. I think many of you have seen what's happening in the news. Uh, on our way here, just to get to the airport, we literally had armed military officers on this side of the car. And then we had millions of protesters on this side of the car just to get to the airport. So we're excited that we get to be here and minister. Here, we're also celebrating Matt's little grandmother's birthday, her 100th birthday. She's in Hudsonville, so we get to celebrate.
1: I'm originally from West Michigan, and my grandmother, she's 100 years old, but you wouldn't think she's a day over 60. She says, it's
0: all because of Jesus. (laughs) She gives us likes on Facebook, and we're like, thank you, Grandma.
1: You haven't lived until your grandmother gives you a thumbs up when she's 100 years old on Facebook.
0: Well, we love that you guys are behind us. You know, what you guys do here helps us do what we do there. And we thank God for you. Um, missions is not just about adults, though. I always love to bring in that we are getting missions into your children. How many of you remember when you were a child and you heard a missionary and it just rang inside of your heart? I believe that we have a job to get missions into your children's hearts, and we've written some books called Around the World with Matt and Lizzie. They've gone into Nigeria, they've gone into Egypt, and they've gone into England.
1: And these books are based off of our real-life stories, even the characters. The little dog in the book is based off our son, Jonathan.
0: (laughs) I showed one of the little boys out there, and it shows Bentley on top of the little uh, tattoo thing. Uh, And he says, oh, I wish I could be on the top of that. I says, well, my son was, and he got in huge trouble for doing it. So um, maybe some of the things that Bentley does is probably not good for children to do. But he's our comical relief in these books. And then we're getting ready to... um, Get published. I'm so excited. We just found out yesterday around the world with Matt and Lizzie China. So, um, Matt and Lizzie get to take, smuggle some Bibles into China. Yep. So we thank you for getting behind our projects and you'll notice that we're all our team out in the lobby and here we're wearing Tijin. And this stands for this generation, every nation. And Matt is going to give you an amazing message about getting this message into every nation. So we want to have you come out and look at our books and also look at our t-shirts to be living representatives. And I've got some shirts that I want to throw with my softball arm that is out of practice, seriously. But we just want you guys to come. Oi, Yay! You want to throw that side? Okay, let's see. Oy, there's a kid. He'll want some. Yay. (laughs) There's a kid. Come out and visit us back in the lobby. We'd love to talk with you. And like I said again, thank you for being behind what Club 1040 is doing in the Middle East and North Africa. God bless you guys.
1: Awesome. And as she's sitting down there, um, the, she has the three books. as a special Christmas special, and she'll sign them and autograph them to their kids as well. So please do connect at our Connection Center back there. So as Julie said, um, we're on our TGen tour, and that'll make sense by the end of this morning. But um, I want you to imagine just for a second um, that God, who's the creator of all, he's the most creative of all creation, And I want you to imagine that this screen behind me is a giant canvas. In fact, the canvas is large as this entire earth. And in the master's paint palette is 7 billion plus colors of paint. And that those seven billion colors, one of those individual, everyone's different, one of those colors represents you, your life. And I want you to imagine this white blank canvas. And I want you to imagine God taking his masterful paintbrush and dipping it in the color of your life, which doesn't look like any other color that's on his paint palette. And I want you to imagine him putting that paint on that blank canvas in the way that he sees that will make the you, you know, show forth the greatest glow. But then I want you to think about it for a second. What if you are the only color that's put on that canvas? And all the other 6.9999 billion people, they aren't a part of that painting. The painting is incomplete. And this morning, even though we're missionaries and we will show some of the things that God's doing overseas, which you are a major part of making happen through Club 1040, the ministry that we're founders and and leaders of, but also I really, this, this morning's more about you. And what we're going to do is we're going to look at God's great big painting that he's painting, this beautiful picture, which has to do not just with what he wants to do, his plan, but also has to do with the timing in which we're living right now. We're in a critical time. And I want you to see that you fit in that plan. What I understand is this, is that we're all here because we want to do something that fulfill God's purpose for our life. Isn't that right? That's why we're in church. We're like, we know God has a purpose for our life. I know God has a purpose for my life. You may be saying the same thing about your life. I know he has a purpose for my life. I'm not sure exactly how it fits or how it works. Well, like that giant painting, until you see the big picture and see that you are one part of God's beautiful painting, not the only thing, until you see the big picture, it's hard to really understand how you fit. So this morning is really more about you understanding how you fit in God's big, beautiful picture. And that will also show us how Valley Family Church fits in his big, beautiful picture. And so I'm asking you to just grab a hold with faith and lean into what God has for us. Are you ready to do that this morning? Praise God. Let's pray. Let's pray and ask God. Father God, we come in agreement with all the prayers that have prayed already today. And we say, Father God, that today we'll see more clearly what you're doing in the earth in our generation. That we'll see how we fit in that. And we'll see how Valley Family Church fits in that. And how we fit in the church here. And as a result, Father God, we thank you that we get to be a part of what you're doing in this earth. An important part. And all who said in agreement, in Jesus' name... Amen. Amen. Praise God. All right. So I'm going to start with this picture here talking about pictures and paintings. This is a picture. In fact, uh, to help explain it, let me go to the next slide and then we'll come back for a second. See all these little dots. These dots represent different tribes or nations. Every people group in the earth is defined by these qualities. The largest group of people with which they have a common culture, common language, common thinking, those kind of things. It's sort of the things that make us us and other people them. That's what a people group is. And when we talk about unreached people groups, we talk about people groups that don't have a presence of Jesus in that people group that's strong enough to ensure that the church and the gospel continues to grow. Statistics show that if it's less than 2% evangelical in a people group, it doesn't have the strength to be able to continue to spread. It gets absorbed or gets overcrowded by the, 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 the things that it, that it faces within that group. So, an unreached people group is a group that has less than 2% evangelical in that people group. How many people groups or nations do we think that there are in the world? What do you think? There's actually 17,000. I'm rounding figures a little bit, but 17,000. Of the 17,000 people groups, there's approximately 10,000 that have been reached. That leaves about 7,000 that have not been reached. And they are the ones where the greatest population tends to be. So let's go back to the other, the other picture. So <clears throat> here this, I, the thing I like to point out about this is this, is looking right now, the green represents the growing church. The red represents that area of the world that is least reached or unreached where the greatest number or concentration of unreached people groups are. And so if you look at this picture right now, you can see where the majority of the work needs to be done. And if you just look at it at face value, you think, man, we've got a lot of work to do. But here's where we start seeing how the timing of things of God is really coming to a real knife edge and how we're living in really an exciting time. Because if you look back 40 years ago or so, When the same Bible college that your pastors went to, that we went to as well, that's where we met them, Uh, and before they came up, came back and started the church here, based in Tulsa, Oklahoma, the graduates in the late 70s, early 80s, they would make their way through Mexico down into Central and South America. Forty years ago, on that map, that area of the world would have been predominantly red or yellow, in other words, unreached or least reached. Now some of the largest churches in the world are in that same area. And like in Brazil, they send missionaries all over the world. So then let's look at the same map. You know, think about China. In the early 70s, there was a delegation that went from the United Kingdom to China to see if they could find any born-again Christians. And after looking and looking and looking, they couldn't find one single born-again Christians in the early 70s. Now in China, just a few decades later there, the, the church in China, the house church movement is the largest church movement in the earth. And you can see on this map, it's not red China. What color is it? It's green China. Everybody say green China. green China. What does that mean? The fastest growing church in the world is in China. The largest church in the world is in China. These five uncles, church leaders, when they were asked, how many people are in your house churches? They kind of talked amongst themselves and they said, I don't know, maybe about 10 million people. That's pretty good church size. You know, church attendance is down a little bit. We're down a few hundred thousand this week. So that's what's happened in the last, since the early 70s, from almost no Christians at all to look at that. Then look at Africa, the same thing. A couple hundred years ago, there were only Christians on the coastline. Now some of the largest churches in the world. I know somebody, a pastor I know in Nigeria that just built a hundred thousand seat sanctuary and they fill it more than once on a Sunday. Think about that. So... That's where we are. That's the condition of the world till now and we've made a tremendous amount of progress over the last couple of decades. And as we go from 2019 into 2020, we have a great opportunity in front of us and we're going to talk about how that opportunity can be reaped in every way. So I want to ask this question. Every generation, when you think about generations, every generation when you when you think about in the past, past generations. Every generation has its defining factors. And if I were to ask you, what is the defining factor of this generation right now? I wonder what we might say. We might say, for example, polarized political positions. We might say other things, many other things it might say. But my question is, is how do we want the generation to be defined? Every generation has to decide how it wants to be Defined, And my question is, is what if instead of maybe fashion trends or different things like that? Because, I mean, let's think about this 1970s. When you think of 70s, what do you think of? (laughs) Maybe you think of, let's see, do we have a picture of it? (laughs) Uh, Pastor Beth, she posted, we knew Matt and Julie Beamer when they were singles. And I thought to myself, yeah, when Pastor Jeff had hair. I hope, he, I hope he watches that. So 1980s, same thing. What do you think of 1980s? Big hair and ozone depletion through hairspray, right? Those giant hairspray canisters that look like bazookas. So each generation has its things that are its defining factors. What, what about if our generation was defined as the TGen generation, the generation that was able to reach every nation? So we actually can do it we have, it's not a matter of if we can or we can't. In fact, the statistics tell us we have 22 times the ability to reach the, that red area of the world. We can do it in one year's time. We could do it in 40 days. The church loves to do things in 40 days. <laughs> Why don't we do it in 40 days? We could do it, not just once, twice, three times. We could do it 22 times over. So it's not a matter of if we can do it. It's a matter of if we want to do it. Where's the want to? Not only do statistics tell us that we can do it, but actually Habakkuk tells us in chapter 2 and verse 14 that there's going to be a generation that does it. It prophesies all the way to our time. And it shows us there's going to be a generation that does it. And I like this this scripture. Look, Let's read it together on the count of three. One, two, three. The earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord. How? As the... Waters cover the sea. Okay, let's think about that for a second. The whole earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord. How? As waters cover sea. How does water cover sea? Like, absolutely, right? So there's a lot of scriptures we can look at, but I just want to look at that one. This There is going to be a generation, the Bible tells us, where this gospel message will cover the whole earth in the same way that water absolutely covers the sea. Why not our generation? And then in the New Living Bible, I like this. It says, the earth will be filled with... The knowing of the Lord's shining greatness. And we created this little graphic. Uh, we call it our water world. And that shining, this shining greatness of the Lord over that 1040 window area, that least reach area. That's what we're seeing. That kind of speaks prophetically to what we believe can happen in this generation. So let's look at this. Statistically, we can do it 20 times over. Um, the scriptures say there's going to be a generation to do it. Why not ours? So... Let's look back in scriptures and see if any generation ever got close. Well, the scriptures tell us the first generation almost did it. Almost did it. In fact, let's look at three quick scriptures. Romans chapter 15, you can make a note of these and go back and read them later. In Romans 15, the apostle Paul says something incredibly powerful. He says, my aim is to preach the gospel to those who haven't heard. And then he quotes an Old Testament scripture. He says, because, he says, basically I base my whole apostolic ministry on God's word that says this. Those who haven't heard, they will see. Those who haven't known, they will know. He, he quotes an Old Testament scripture saying that's what I base my ministry on. And my whole, everything I do, I push it through the filter of my priorities are all about telling people who haven't heard the gospel first. And then I'll go and do other things. Like Oswald J. Smith said, why should anyone hear twice when so many people have never heard once? That was Paul's frame of mind. But listen, the cool thing about this is in Paul's time, Romans 15, Paul then goes on to say, even though this is my priority, this is how I live my life, this is how I spend my time and my ministry, and my money. He says, however, now I can come to you Christians at Rome because um, the gospel has been fully preached from Jerusalem all the way through to Elycrium and all the region round about, and I have nowhere else to preach. So on Paul's day in Romans 15, he says, he says the gospel had been fully preached in that generation in that area. And if it can happen then, why not now? Acts 19 is another example. Paul goes to a place called Ephesus and he finds disciples there. He presents the gospel. They get born again. And then afterwards, they have this Bible school for two years. It says they sp- disputed daily in the school of Tyrannus for two years. And what was the result of that? It says, all of Asia heard the gospel. One man, one Bible school, two years, all of Asia heard the gospel. In Second Thessalonians chapter 3, Paul says, Pray for us also, you Christians at Thessalonica, that the gospel may speed, spread on, and be glorified just as it has been with you. All through the scriptures we see in that first church generation, they were seen come to pass what Jesus told them to look for. What did Jesus say to look for? When this gospel of the kingdom is preached throughout all the world, as a witness unto every ethnic group, every tribe, every nation, every tall ethnos, he says, Then the end shall come. And they were seeing it come to pass. And and, and missiologists and church historians say that if, if they would have continued with the apostolic zeal that they were had that fire uh, into the third generation of the church, they would have reached the entire um, earth with the gospel of Jesus. In fact, um, historians, church historians, they wrote about in the day, they, and it's not in the scriptures, but it talks about in history, and then Fox's Book of Martyrs bears this out when it talks about how all the early apostles, they didn't die in Jerusalem or in their homeland. They died in countries that were not their homeland as they went to give the gospel out to different places. So, for example, Thomas died in India as he preached the gospel to the people that didn't know Jesus. John Mark died in Alexandria, Egypt, as he preached to the Pharaoh worshippers. And and Peter died upside down on a cross. You read Fox's Book of Martyrs, it tells the whole history. What kind of terrible passion for the lost and love for the unsaved does it take for people who know Jesus to then abandon all that is comfortable to them and go to places that haven't heard? There's something inside that in the early generation that had that, that I think we're beginning to see bubble up again in our generation. But unfortunately, what happened was as the church became um, uh, uh, led into politics and, and differences of, of culture and, and disputes and arguments. And, and then as a result, the church took its eyes off the harvest fields. And so instead of fulfilling the Great Commission by the third generation, the church fell into darkness. It's known in history as the Dark Ages. For not just a few years, but for 1,200 years the church light was almost all but extinguished out. It almost died out. And then we had to have people, God raised up people like Martin Luther and John Calvin who were reformers in the 50, not 1500s. But they, because of their doctrinal beliefs, didn't reach out to the harvest fields. And plus, they were so busy trying to get the church fixed. So that wasn't their priority. So it wasn't until the 1800s. Folks, that's just a couple hundred years ago. You see what I'm showing us, this beautiful picture that's in front of us, what's happening over the last few decades of, of we're getting really close to God's end day timing of reaching the world. We can see it in front of us. The finish line is in sight and we see throughout history. When we look at the big picture of God's you know generational history, we see that just in the last couple of generations, we've made incredible progress. And in the 1800s, there was, uh, uh, um, uh, William Carey wrote a pamphlet that found its way into some college students' hands in the United States. And I want you to hear what happened in this video clip. So have a watch of this.
2: Okay, so it was the summer of 1806, and there were a group of five praying students out in western Massachusetts. They went out to this place where they typically went to pray. And they entered into this conversation that had been ongoing for them about what God was doing around the world. In the middle of their conversations, this uh, this rain, big thunderstorm kind of thing set in. And so they decided they're gonna make a bolt back to the campus. So they're running back to the campus and they don't make it in time. They try to get shelter under this haystack, uh, sort of just a, you know, a heap of hay. And, uh, and they, they, they hunker down next to this heap of hay and they keep talking and praying. And he looks at the other guys, in this group of five of them, and he says, we can do this if we will. Not we'll do this if we can, which is the typical way we roll. But we can do this if we will. And I guess it was the, I don't know, the electricity of the afternoon, who knows. But something got into them. And, um, and, and out of that you know, meeting that now historians refer to as the Haystack Pyramid, the foreign missions movement out of America emerged. They had no idea that history was being made. They were just students who were praying. And I think the point is, is that right now, we got pockets of students praying all over the place. But they, most of us got this idea that God is waiting on some extraordinary human who's got it all together that he's going to use. That is not the story of Sam Mills. The story of Sam Mills is an awkward figure with a croaking voice that's what his roommate said you gotta love your roommates you know and and that's how he described him and and i think if we can see that if we can go okay so god is interested interested in partnering with someone like me then it gives you new faith to believe and to try stuff and to go after it and to go okay we can do this if we will we can
1: we can do this if we want to The same thing, 22 times the resources. The Bible says it's going to happen in a generation. We see the early church almost did it and they got so close. And then they took their eyes off of the harvest fields, went into the dark ages. But then we see in the 1800s, God raises up again another seed from that seed. And this is the context. It's hard for us to imagine that today. Universities today, you know, have tens of thousands of students at colleges today. We're talking about in the day where uh, Harvard University, Princeton University, these Universities were set up as, as, the purpose was to train ministers, to train preachers, but they had gone so far away from their original purpose that when there were surveys done in that time period to see how many believers there were on campus, they could only find two believers on the Harvard campus. They could only find one believer on the Princeton campus. That was the context with which these few students prayed. Also think about this. There weren't churches like Valley Family Church in that time. Not in this, now there's thousands of churches across America that have a thousand, two thousand, three thousand people in them that are meeting this morning on a Sunday morning. There weren't mission organizations at all. And yet these few students, this is what I want us to see, the potential that we have. The few students said, we can do this. We have so many more resources, so many more opportunities in front of us. They said, we can do this. And they used to keep these little boxes. Look at this pledge card. As they went from college to college and they preached this message that we can do this, is they would have students that wanted to give their lives to foreign missions sign these cards that says, it is my purpose if God permit, to become a foreign missionary. And by the end of a few, uh, within a few short uh, um, uh, years, there was 100,000 of those pledge cards that were filled by university students all across America. Not only that, but not only a 100,000 said, I want to go overseas, but then what happened is there were revivals that were kicked off in all of these same campuses. So now, a few years later, literally a half a dozen years later, their universities were at 50% believers, 75% believers all across America. And those that eventually went were 20,000 people. Which 20,000 people, think about it, at the time in the day where the average lifespan of a missionary in West Africa was two years. They would normally die in less than 24 months. It would take them weeks to get there by ship, and a lot of denominations eventually went to the point where they said, we will make a coffin to your size, and you pack the coffin of all your life belongings before you got onto the ship so that you would have that on the other side, knowing that when they got on that ship, they were never coming home. Against that, think about this. In those universities, the wealthiest of American society were the only ones going to them. So it wasn't like people that just barely got in with no money and just this is the only option they have in life to go and give up. You know they're all for the call of God. We're talking about the people that were supposed to be the politicians and the presidents and the doctors and the lawyers and all the uh, society influencers, and they were saying there's a greater call. And what I'm excited about is there's been decades where it seems as though that that's not really been in the church. That that real just terrible passion and hunger to tell people about Jesus, it's not really been there. But I'm starting to see a new generation rise up. You know, my generation and the generation maybe a bit older than me, that was all about let's get the biggest cars we can. Let's, you know, get the biggest bank accounts we can. Let's get the biggest houses we can. You know, it's all about that side of things. Now the new generation is like, we want small, tiny houses. We want to wear, you know, uh, secondhand t-shirts. It's not about, it's not about the, all the big stuff and all the money. It's about cause. What can I give my life to? The problem is, is, is they don't hear anybody saying that there's this cause called the great commission. And so they don't know that that's really the thing that God is raising up this generation for. And so what they do is they start trying to use the cause to do all these other things that seems good in society in today's world. When the real thing that will scratch the itch of that cause is changing people's hearts from darkness to light. So I'm excited, though, because the, the, the aspects of this new generation are ripe for them to see that when they see it, I think they're going to run with it. And I want us, you guys that are parents, you know uh, these books that Julie's doing, things like that. Get them into your kids so that our children can be the global leaders of the next generation. When kids get old enough to go on mission experiences through Valley Family Church, make sure you raise the three to four thousand dollars and send your your teenager to, on these trips. Why? Because it's the only thing that will scratch the itch of the eternal thing in their heart of adventure that God's put in them. And if you don't do it, you might end up paying a whole lot more money and the fact that they go some night trying to get adventure in other ways, wrap their car around the tree and get drunk or something like that. But if we allow them, the reason I say that is I we lead short-term teams and I have tons of parents that I never let my kid go on a trip overseas, even to places like England. But as parents... Let's make sure that we start walking by faith in regard to our children and allow the adventure spirit to rise up within them because there's God's raising up a generation of people that they won't be uh, just good with the status quo. They need a cause that has eternal significance attached to it. And this church has a has a uh, has a you know has an important part of raising up this next generation. It's a generational church raising up young people. So let's facilitate that in their lives. An example of that is last year at this time, this young man right here, he gave up his life to go and make first contact with an unreached people group. There's something called UUPGs, unengaged unreached people groups. What does that mean? These unengaged unreached people groups have never had any contact with a believer, no Bible, no church, no one. And this young man heard about this tribe and he said, I'm gonna go to him. And he wrote this letter to his parents. He said, he was connected with ORU and and so I got this letter through some friends of mine. And he wrote this, you can't see it very well, but on the top it says to Brian and Mary and mom and dad. And then in the red bit there it says, please do not be angry with them or with God if I get killed. But rather please live your lives in obedience to whatever he calls you to do that's a 20 year old kid saying the same thing that Paul said, the same thing that Peter said, the same thing that Thomas said, the same thing that the early disciples said, these guys, this new generation has has got something different about them. They get, they get talked down on a lot, but there's some amazing things going on in this generation. Then a few months later, something that shocked me in Orlando, Florida, a big event that I didn't even hear about. I'm pretty connected to the whole missions ministry thing across America, etc. Suddenly I saw on Facebook, this event called the send 60,000 young people. They met for one single purpose for like three days of who will go and who will send those who go. And tens of thousands at the end of that said, we will go. And those that said, I don't think I'm supposed to go, but I'm going to make sure those who go, go well. Something's happening. This picture of this, this young guy up here at the front of the stage. That reminds me of me about 35 years ago. I was at the front of an event like that, and I'm like, God, uh, tears coming all over the place. I'll do whatever. I'll go places other people don't want to go. And God's been faithful to us. And tell, let me tell you something: I would, I would wither up and die if I had to. Was born, I was born in in Grand Rapids, raised in West Michigan. And if that's the only thing I ever did in my life, so uh, the reason I say this is people feel sorry for missionaries. I, I mean, I have seen my wife sneeze on by a camel on the pyramids. How many people get to see that? I mean, there's, I could sit here and just talk for 24 hours about the miracles, about the signs and the wonders. I told you about the church in England. There's a whole chapter in a book written by somebody called the, 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 the coming fall of Islam where it talks about all the, 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 the people who, Muslims who saw Jesus in visions and dreams. That whole chapter on just our church. We have seen things that just are so awesome. And to live a different life would be so sad to me we are living an adventure. There is this great adventure available to anybody that's willing to take that step. So as I come in for a landing today, I want to show you this picture. We never signed a pledge card, but that was me at the front of the stage with a pledge card of my heart saying, wherever you want me to go, whatever you want me to do. And when I met Julie at Bible school, she had already made that same pledge. And so we said it together. And after a couple of years in West Michigan here at a, at a church, we had got rid of all of our wedding gifts and the condo. We sold all that up. And this is what we had left. And I remember after that picture was taken, I turned to my wife at LAX airport. We were about to get on the plane to go to, uh, you know, Burma and Thailand and places. And, and I said to her, I said, here you go, babe. This is it. This is us right here. You know what? We have so much joy so much joy, a few suitcases, but big vision and a lot of joy. And looking back, I, I mean, here's a little bit of what's happened over the past 25 years. That was 25 years ago. Look at Nigeria. Nigeria. Uh, let's go to the, we started nine years ago, just nine years ago in Nigeria. Next slide, please. And uh, we started with 80 students. Now there's 3,250 students in six campuses. We turned it over 18 months ago, entirely led by Nigerians, entirely funded by Nigerians. It was started with the seed money from Club 1040 with people like you helping us do that. Here's a picture of three graduations in three different cities. One lady by herself, one of those graduates. I, I mean, there's this, these stories can be replicated dozens and dozens of times. But one lady by herself who graduated in one of those pictures. She's trained over a thousand church planners that resulted in a hundred churches just in the last three years. One lady. Everywhere we go, we, we influence the children, changing people's minds in the church about how children's ministry is supposed to look and how it's work and, and seeing thousands of children influenced that way. Next slide, please. <clears throat> uh, this picture is a picture of, of over a thousand and, over a thousand, uh, um, people Nigerian people, over a thousand people adopting the top 20 least reached people groups in the north of Nigeria, where Boko Haram is, people speak house of the language of that, of Boko Haram that extremist terrorist group, remember the Bring Our Girls Back campaign, that was the group that stole those 300 plus children from a Christian school and made forced them into Islamic marriage and worship that group in that part, northern part of Nigeria, we have Bible schools in that same language group, we have people coming that are being born again out of that same kind of background and churches and missionary work that is all indigenous led, indigenous funded, going all throughout that part of North Nigeria and beyond. I'm telling you folks, things are moving. Things are changing. It's exciting. We'll go to Egypt, just quickly, let me show you over half a million life-giving books in print. Next picture there. Um, uh, this is, you know, um, giving, these are ministers and church leaders giving them these books and ministering to them. Let's go to the next one. This is a group that we did one time, 330 students. There's a revival around 8 million, um, uh, Muslims have moved from Islam into, into non, non-religious. Uh, There's only a million Egyptian believers, but 8 million have gone from Islam to non-religious. It's a lot easier to go from non-religious to Christian than it is from Islam to Christian. Because Islam to Christian is worthy of apostasy and death, but you go from Islam to non-religious, and then it's, you can go from non-religious to Christian. And literally tens of thousands of people are moving into Christianity like never before in that part of the world. And this is a picture of the Bible school there and then another Bible school. Um, and then we are now in Lebanon, based in Lebanon. I'm going quickly here. So just giving you a little taste of it. This is what Julie was talking about. This is the... the. Um, uprising that's taking place. There's, you know, we, we've had several of these in different countries. Instead of snow days, West Michigan snow days, we have bomb days or we have riot days or uh, what does that mean? Schools closed for weeks and curfews and you know, ATM machines, the banks closed, and ATM machines that go empty, and and they they don't re, refill the gas stations because they can't get the you know the, the the gasoline trucks into the country, and all those kind of things. But let me tell you what happens. Wherever these things have happened, and we've seen in several places, what happens is there's a change that takes place in the nation. And when there's a change, whether it's the Arab spring happening throughout the Arabic world, or whether it's something like this taking place, we're able to see thousands of people come to Jesus. Let's show the picture of the two young ladies. These ladies are um, Syrian refugees that are holding digital Bibles. Those digital Bibles are in their language. The first time they ever heard the Bible in their own language. We've seen 6,000 of those put into places like Iraq and Syria and all of these different places. And then I'm going to show you a video as I finish up today. This video is um, is, a, is kind of just gives you a little taste of what's happening in Lebanon. There's a at the end of this video, there's a little boy, and the little boy is from a Muslim family. You can see his mom has his mom has the um, hearing aids that she's holding on to, and he's about four years old. Prayed for him for healing. The interpreter said, say Jesus in the Arabic language. The little boy then said, Jesus, you saw. And um, as a result of that, you know, everybody was very happy, very excited, of course. The the child could hear. Praise God. A little church got birthed out of that right on the Syrian border. Um, But here's the cool thing I think about it is we didn't know it. He he not only couldn't hear, he never spoke before. He never. So his little Muslim boy, his very first word ever was Jesus. Staring into your eyes Makes my
3: heart come alive Suddenly brought to life When I met you me beyond the skies Running deep sets It's for real, you will never let go, never let go, oh, it's more than just words left beyond my control, out of control. My heart come alive Send me but to When I miss you
1: But right at the very end, he says, Jesus, Esau. So that little boy. I want to show, the, go ahead and play the next video. This is one of the things we do is strengthen the leaders and help build up the existing churches as well as help them reach out to their own country. Go ahead.
3: You guys sponsored the view, the place, the t-shirts, and even the smiles. It has been a glorious time of getting away with God and getting to know each other.
1: That shows you a little bit about what you have been a part of so you can see how the fruit of your investment as you give to the church of your time, your talents, resources, how it helps make an impact overseas. It's been great being with you. One of the things I want to do is leave you with this quote. Uh, it's um, by Leonard Ravenhill. If, is If we can go back to that quote. There we go. Thank you. In every age, God has given the church the resources and the ability to evangelize the whole world Then the next part, if they would just do it. What do you think? You think we can do it? So how do we do it? Four questions that you need to answer. The reality is, is most of you will never go overseas. I encourage everybody to at least take one vacation at one time and do it. But not everybody will do it. But... Everybody who's called to be a part of this church has the ability to help make that red area of the world become green. And how do you do that? Four questions that you should ask yourself. Number one, what do you love doing? In other words, what comes easy to you? Number two, what don't you like doing? That's just as important to know as what, knowing what you love to do. And I like, I think it was Beth and Jeff that actually said one time, they went to a church and there was a guy greeting at the door who had plastic gloves on. Wrong person in the wrong place. He didn't like touching people. And he was a greeter. That's not good. So what do you not like doing? What do you love doing? What comes easy to you? Then what do you see? This is really important. Because as you come into church, for example, you see things. You think maybe someone should do something about that. Someone should fix that. Maybe you see it and only you see it because you have the grace to meet that need. And so the next step is then whatever you see, take to your leaders and see what they say. And so I'm going to ask you. To do one thing and one thing only. As we go into 2020, think about what is the one thing that you're not doing now that you need to be doing that fits in line with those four questions that will help build this house. See, this is what we've done. We've started with the big picture. Remember all the way back to the big picture. We have twenty two times the resources to get the job done in our generation. We can do it. We've seen the scripture says there will be a generation that does it. And we can spend hours showing other scriptures. There will be a generation that does it. Why not ours? We see the early church almost did it, they almost did it. We can do it. We see that they didn't do it for the same reasons. A student, the student movement almost did it. They didn't do it for the same reasons as the early church that got their eyes off the harvest field, became political in their intention, and tried to do social needs as opposed to evangelism outreach. That true nature of the gospel. And so they again dwindled down to nothing eventually. But The truth is, is our generation is rising up again with that same ripe ability to be able to take this message to the end of the earth, a cause driven generation. We are at the very knife edge. The last few decades have brought us right down to this point. We can do it, but where do we do it? The number one place you will help send missionaries and help reach that part of the world is by you finding your place in the local house and doing what God has called you to do here. Helping the vision of the local house. This church becomes everything God's ordained it to be. Then as This church becomes everything it is ordained to be. People in relationship with this church like Julie and I in Clempton 40. We can do what we're supposed to do and then reach those people who we're supposed to reach. All because you do the thing that you're supposed to do here. How amazing is that?